0: It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan.
1: Anne Lamont once said, I do not at all understand the mystery of grace only that it meets us where we are, but does not leave us where it found us. I'm Rick, and welcome to Christian Questions. We enjoy having you here with us. And with me is Jonathan, my good friend. Jonathan, what's happening, and what are we talking about?
2: Well, Rick, our question is, what is the end-time resurrection about, and how does it work? And our theme text is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead.
1: So again, the question, what is the end times resurrection about? How does it work? Well, look, most people seem to have a sense that there's something beyond this life, that death is not a permanent end. This sense is expressed in a myriad of different beliefs about life and death every christian denomination believes in the resurrection of the dead but the similarities stop right there when we look at the scriptures we find a complex and easily confused story of how the resurrection works first of all when we look at the word that describes being raised from the dead it actually has a surprising meaning secondly we need to ask who gets resurrected when does it happen is it all at once or one at a time or in groups Are all of those who are resurrected receiving the same treatment? So folks, coming up in today's podcast, is resurrection really practical? Why did Jesus raise people from the dead so they could die again? In our second segment, we're going to be examining who Jesus raised and why he raised them. On the surface, it really doesn't seem to make much sense. Will there be levels of authority in the resurrection? Who's going to be on top and and how does that work? Our third segment focuses on the process involved for resurrection of Jesus' true followers, and it is unique. And then, will the most evil people of all time be hanging out with the most holy people of all time? In our fourth segment, we'll uncover what happens to the Old Testament heroes of faith, and you know you may be surprised. So, you come back from the dead. What do you do now? Our final segment reveals what the full process of resurrection will require, and it is no simple task.
2: Rick, with all these questions and varied beliefs, let's see if we can follow the Bible's reasoning.
1: And Jonathan, following the Bible's reasoning is going to be a challenge with a subject like this because this is a complicated uh, endeavor. There's a lot to how the resurrection works. Once we get through figuring out what pieces go where it makes incredible clear clear sense but we've got to establish how to get there. So first, the teaching of resurrection from the dead clearly had an Old Testament foundation. And you know, in a lot of churches Jonathan, they don't talk about the resurrection. But even in the Old Testament it was commonly spoken of. Let's start with 1 Samuel 2:6, which is Hannah's prayer after having her son Samuel.
2: The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. And Rick, we know Sheol is often translated hell, but it means grave or pit.
1: Right. Okay. But here in this prayer, she talks about God kills and and makes alive. He brings you into the grave and then raises you up. This is a very generalized blanket statement. Job, in his trials, Job chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, talks about resurrection.
2: Oh, that you would hide me in Sheol, that you would conceal me until your wrath returns to you, that you would set a limit for me and remember me. If a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my struggle, I will wait until my change comes.
1: So Job is clearly talking about a time of raising, you know, hiding me in the grave, you know, that's that's such a, a, a clear picture. You're dead, and then you're alive. And he's talking about the end times resurrection. Let's go to Daniel. We're just going to rapidly go through a few verses. In Daniel's prophecy, in Daniel chapter 12, again, the subject comes up. Daniel 12, 2.
2: Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt.
1: So, sleeping in the ground and awaking. And again, you've got your dead and then you're alive. And he talks about two different results of becoming alive. And we're going to get into that in some great detail. But again, that's another verse focusing on end times resurrection. What about uh, David, King David speaking prophetically in Psalm 16, verse 10? For you will
2: not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You know, And Rick, he's ahead. talking about Jesus own resurrection, isn't
1: he? Yeah, yeah. So so we've got this sense that resurrection is throughout the Bible. So one of the questions you've got to ask yourself is if it's so such a big big thing, how come everybody's not talking about it all the time? Good question. And and I think the answer is going to be made plain as we uncover how the whole process actually does work. So, you know, first was establishing. It's an Old Testament teaching as well as very clearly a New Testament teaching. Secondly, the resurrection teaching is complex. We've said that several times already. There are actually three Greek words that are associated with this. And Jonathan, this is an important factor here. So what's the first, what, what kind of word is the first word and, and, and what is it and what does it describe?
2: Well, the first word, the resurrection a noun, means
1: a standing up again. Okay. This And this is a word, uh, the Greek word, and I'm not going to try to pronounce the Greek, but it is talking about the resurrection. And that's one of the focuses we want to have through this entire podcast, is understanding when we're talking about the resurrection. This word is always in in, in relation to the resurrection. It means a standing up again. We're going to develop that as we go a little bit further. But our premise here... For this podcast. Jonathan, what's the premise that we want to set at using this word as a basis?
2: Well, Rick, this word signifies a complete end times re standing before God, with one exception, and therefore is a process. We will see the process work differently with different resurrection stages.
1: Okay, so we said there's one exception. You're saying, aha, you're changing the rules. No, 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 just hang on. We'll get there, okay? But this word is is it's, it's the complete end times re-standing process. So what we're suggesting at this point that we're going to have to work our way into is that resurrection isn't just, poof, I'm alive again. That's just the first part of an overall process, and we'll develop that as we go. So that first word has to do with the resurrection. The second word, Jonathan, what, what about the second word?
2: Well, it's a verb that describes any aspect of standing up, be it physical, national, being raised from the dead, and also describes the
1: re-standing of the
2: resurrection.
1: All right. So it's got kind of a physical sense, this second word, and, and it means? To stand up. Okay. And that's pretty physical, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You were laying down and you are standing up. So it gives you a sense of that. Why are there different words? We'll we'll develop that further as well. The third word now is also a verb that describes more of the reviving part of arising. It's used regarding many things, including being raised from the dead, as well as a result of the resurrection. So that word, Jonathan, what does it mean? It means, Rick, to awaken, uh, that is, rouse. Okay, so that has more of a sense of a mental uh, reawakening so that that the previous word was like stand up sort of a physical type thing this is more of a mental reawakening and then we have that general word that is to uh, standing up again it's the big picture of the resurrection okay a lot of, lot, of, lot of moving parts here already these three words are going to be we're going to keep coming back to them throughout our, our discussion and what we will see is how they fit together to describe several different things and line up for us who gets resurrected, when do they get resurrected, why do they get resurrected, and what happens to them after they're resurrected. So there's a lot of questions that these words are going to actually help us to understand. So let's kind of wrap up the introduction here with a basic resurrection principle.
2: The resurrection is a clear teaching throughout scripture, though necessarily clouded by the
1: many details describing its process. Okay. It is a clear scriptural teaching. And again, you have to ask the question. Folks, you know, if, if you're listening, ask, think about how often are you taught about the resurrection? See, we always think about it in a lot of Christian circles. We think, oh, well, we're going to go to heaven. You know, Jesus died for us and, you know, in my house are many mansions. That's wonderful. But there's a much bigger process even to that, and we're going to get to that. So as we look further... You know, we need to understand, it seems as though the resurrection is much more complex than one would hope. So how do we decode it?
2: How could Jesus have resurrected people back then if the resurrection is the end times event?
0: We've been studying scripture and discussing how biblical history collides with world history in today's culture for 20 years on radio and in podcast channels. If you're curious about how the Bible or Christianity applies to what you have faced and are facing right now in your life, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Listen live or on your own time. Then reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation.
1: The question of Jesus resurrecting people 2,000 years ago is an important one. As we touch on what actually happened in all of those circumstances, we're going to see a striking pattern emerge that teaches us that Jesus raised people from the dead. He did not resurrect them. That's an enormous difference that needs to be looked at very carefully. So Jonathan, what we're announcing here is Jesus didn't resurrect anybody, but he did raise them.
2: And Rick, you mentioned earlier, is resurrection really practical? And that brings the question to mind, why did Jesus raise people from the dead so they could
1: die again? And you know, and, and that's that's a really good question. Jesus did raise people from the dead and they would die again. And so what? why are you even doing that? Important reasons for all of this as we develop this. Um, And let's go to the three examples of Jesus raising individuals from the dead. We're going to start with Jesus raising that 12-year-old girl. We're going to go to the account in Mark chapter 5, verses 38 to 42.
2: They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion, and people loudly wailing and weeping. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. They began laughing at him, but putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talika kum, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old, and immediately they had... Com- were completely astounded.
1: So, Jonathan, this this is this is touching because it's a child. First of all, but, but but wait, Rick. What
2: was this actually a raising from the dead? Because Jesus said, "But she is asleep."
1: Well, and that's a good question. Yeah, Jesus says, "You know, the child has not died; it was asleep." So, did he really raise her from the dead? I think I think so, because when Jesus raised Lazarus, and we're going to touch on that in a little bit. He had died and Jesus' response to his disciples was, Lazarus is asleep, I go that I might wake him. And he speaks like that to show the power that he's given that will be accentuated in the end times resurrection but is being sampled in little pieces here.
2: Well, the disciples were happy to hear him say that, saying, well, if he's sick, sleep is good, right? Yeah,
1: let him sleep. And he says, No, 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 yeah. no, you're not getting it. So, so yes, I, I do think, because the, the people around her, it, the mourning process was in full force, and that's what we see in these scriptures. But it's interesting, it says in, in verse 41 that you read, you know, Jesus said to her, little girl, I say to you, get up. Now, when he says get up, what, what word, what is that? That, that is to awaken, Okay, so that's the sort of the, the mental acuity part, right? Yes. So in yes. other words, revive your, 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 your thinking, revive your mind. And then it says immediately the girl got up. And that means a standing again, more physical. So Jesus calls her to essentially reawaken from a mental perspective, and then she physically gets up. It's showing both parts. That's what he called her to do, and then she actually gets up. But was she resurrected? No, she was raised from the dead. That's a, there's a big difference and, and we're gonna go, go through that uh, in, in just a few minutes. So that's the first example, Jesus raising this 12 year old girl and she had just died. She was not d- dead for a long time and Jesus comes in and, and does that. The next example, now these are not in chronological order necessarily, but is Jesus raising the widow of Nain's son. Now, this guy, it's very obvious that he was dead because it's a funeral procession, okay? He's in a coffin. So let's look at Luke chapter 7, verses 12 to 15.
2: Now, as Jesus approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep, and he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother.
1: Boy, first of all, before we get into the technicalities, talk about drama.
2: Oh, my. Oh, <laughs> the crowd must have just been silent.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're in the funeral procession, and Jesus says, stop, stop. I have something to do here. And he says to the young man, I say to you, arise. Now, which which word is that?
2: That is uh, more of the um,
1: uh, mental, right. isn't it? That's yes. more of the
2: mental awakening. So it's awaken.
1: interesting that in both of these instances, Jesus calls them to be reawakened. And so y- you've got to understand this is a picture of what the resurrection is actually going to look like. Jesus is giving us these subtle hints, and the way these things are recorded helps us to, to take it apart and say, well, okay, there are these little subtle pieces that if we put them together, we can begin to understand the bigger picture. So he sat up, so he essentially he physically got up, you know, the physical part doesn't use the word, but he sat up and he began to speak. So you see that Jesus calls to the mental reawakening. I think that's kind of a, a really cool thing to notice at this moment. So and we,
2: now Jesus raises Lazarus. This is one of the greatest miracles, Rick. I think there is in the Bible, isn't isn't
1: it? Well, when you think about it, Lazarus had been dead for four days, and his body is decomposing. So yeah, yeah. You, you don't get much more dramatic than reviving a decomposing human being to full physical health. And you know this is I would love to take the time to go through the entire story, but we just got to just take a little, little tiny piece. So let's look at John 11:23 23 and 24.
2: Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day.
1: Okay, so let's pause right there. So we drop in on the story and Martha came to Jesus and he she says, you know, if you had been here, my brother would not have died and everything would be great. And he says, well, your brother will rise again. Now, what, which resurrection word is that?
2: This is the noun, the resurrection. Well, well no, no,
1: your brother will rise oh, again. Oh, rise again. Yeah, oh, yeah, sorry. that one.
2: Yeah, I, got, I went to the second one. You're this jumping one is ahead the, of me. <laughs> this one's the physical
1: one. Right. Your brother will stand up again. So he's talking in a very general sense. Your brother will stand up again. And she says, I know he will rise, stand up again, in
2: the, the resurrection. Right,
1: the resurrection, in the time when everybody... Re- get, begins the restanding process. So now we jump down to John 12, 1. This is after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and here's how it describes it.
2: Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead.
1: Okay, he had raised. What does that raised mean? That's the mental, uh, to awaken. Right. So... Every time, what we see is Jesus is focusing on that awakening, that, that more of the, the, the mental acuity arousal of, of the mind kind of thing. And I think that's important because that is the key to what the resurrection is actually all about. There's a physical part that needs to happen that is, that is, is part of all of these stories but that is what Jesus is 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 focused on in these scriptures. So we want to want to kind of keep that out there as a, as a, as a basis for some thinking here. So, in all three instances, we see the resuscitation of individuals to their previous human condition of sin and eventual death, like we said before. This this reawakening was not a complete restin restanding. What was it instead?
2: It was just arising back to life.
1: Continuing where they left off. Yes. So you say, well, okay, why would Jesus do that? Why would he raise somebody only so they could die again? And you know, and, and you can be, if you're a critic of Scripture, you can look at that and say, this doesn't make any sense to me. And I, and I think the thing we need to understand in that perspective is Jesus does this to show us what's coming. Why did Jesus heal if those people were going to get sick and die? Same reason. He healed. You know, and incidentally, just a little, little fact. Every single person Jesus went to heal, they were healed. He had a 100% success ratio. Every person he, he raised from the dead was raised. He had a 100% success ratio. And for those churches that believe in faith, healing, and so forth, the question you have to ask them is, what's your ratio? Because if it's not the way Jesus and the apostles were, something's wrong with that picture. But I'm getting off track. Um, So this is a resuscitation to show a picture of something much, much bigger. And in each of these three instances, Jonathan, Jesus is showing power over all three aspects of dying. He's showing power when somebody just dies, He's showing power when somebody has died. And he's showing power when somebody is decomposing after they've died. So he's showing us death is temporary because I have come. And I think that's a powerful picture of why Jesus raised. Go ahead. And in each case, he honored the Heavenly
2: Father because it was God's power working through him that this could be displayed.
1: Right. Right, right, and especially with Lazarus. He prays out loud in front of everybody and says, Father, I know you always hear me. I'm saying this out loud so they know it's you working through me. So it's such an important thing. So let's get to the resurrection, because none of those had anything to do with the resurrection. Those were simply bringing people back. Here's how the resurrection is described. Jonathan, there's three steps. What's the first step in this description?
2: Uh, the The resurrection begins with Jesus, 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born, uh, that word which literally should be begotten again, to a living hope through the the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the
1: dead. So when it talks about this noun, Mm -hmm. the resurrection, in every instance it's pointing to a position of permanence it's pointing to a dramatic change not an example of change like jesus did in those three things three times but a dramatic permanent change that has lasting results so jesus is first i guess that's that's the main point here absolutely okay so that's the first point what's the second point of how the resurrection is described
2: well it takes place within a specific time frame And is a a
1: time of accountability, Rick. Okay. Within a specific time frame, the resurrection, and it's a time of accountability. Now, John 5, 28 and 29.
2: Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who have done the good deeds to a resurrection of life, and those who have committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment.
1: So you have the resurrection actually divided into two pieces here. And we're, for, for this scripture, we're gonna just pick out the second piece, those who have committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Judgment, yes. And, and we know that that word judgment is not a final stamp of approval or disapproval, but it means a period, a time of trial. And we're gonna get into that further uh, as, as we go. So first, the resurrection begins with Jesus. Second point is the resurrection is shown to be within a specific time frame, and there is a time of accountability. And the third point, you know, as I'm reading this, I probably should switch two and three, but oops. <laughs> but,
2: but, but this is an important point, yeah. point three. It shows the resurrection is also a time of
1: reward. See, so for some, it ends up being a time of accountability, And for others, it's a time of reward. How do we know that? Well, this is how Jesus describes it. Luke 14, verses 13 and 14. But when you give a reception,
2: invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, since they did not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous.
1: So it's saying that the the good works of, of this age, especially for those who follow Jesus, are, it's, it's a time of reward. And this is important because what Jesus is giving us in the examples of raising people from the dead and how he describes the resurrection and how he himself is the first to be a part of the resurrection, all of this comes together and says there's an order to this, there is a process, and it works differently with different people. So this helps us to understand that, wow, this is more complicated than I might have thought. But when you put all the pieces on the table and start to put them in order, it's like, oh, wait, this makes a little bit more sense. So our resurrection principle, Jonathan, for this segment.
2: Well, Rick, the door to the resurrection for all was opened by Jesus' own raising and has several aspects to it, including judgment and reward.
1: Okay, it was opened, this door was permanently closed until Jesus. And we're going to develop that again a little bit further as we go. He opens the door, and that gives everyone else opportunity. No matter who they are, no matter what their background, what their experience, Old or New Testament, everybody has opportunity because Jesus sacrifices himself and opens this door. Okay, so when we talk about Jesus' mightiest miracles, we need to be careful to say that he raised the dead
2: resurrection is complicated first of all how does it work in relation to jesus's own disciples
0: we've been studying scripture and discussing how biblical history collides with world history in today's culture for 20 years on radio and in podcast channels if you're curious about how the bible or christianity applies to what you have faced and are facing right now in your life you're tuned into the right podcast listen live or on your own time, then reach out to us at christianquestions.com. Let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation.
1: It's important to break down the whole resurrection process into its scripturally defined pieces. Jesus was obviously the first piece of the puzzle. When scriptures speak of the resurrection, they often speak of two groups. First, the righteous and then the wicked. So at this point, Let's start with the righteous. Well, Rick, you
2: asked, will there be levels of authority in the resurrection?
1: Who will be on top and how will it all work? <laughs> all right. Who, who who wins? I don't know. Who's going to be on top? <laughs> you know, and, and, and this is important. Because if the resurrection applies to everyone, that's a natural question. Well, are, are there, is there a hierarchy involved in this? And, and how does it work? And who, who, are the, who are the rulers kind of thing? You know? So this is an important segment because this helps us to understand the what and the why of those who end up being, quote, on top. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 to 23. And it's probably going to take us a few minutes to get through these because, Jonathan, I'm going to interrupt you all over the place.
2: But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection
1: of the dead. Okay, so let, let's pause right there. First of all, you have the establishment that Christ has been raised from the dead and he is the firstfruits of this whole resurrection thing. Since Adam brings death, Jesus brings the resurrection of the dead. So Jesus began the process and is the first to be raised of those who sleep in death. Go ahead.
2: And and remember it says in Colossians 118, Rick, Jesus will come to have first place in everything, first to be raised from the dead. So the confusion is cleared up. When you when you're dead, you're dead and you're not in limbo or alive somewhere else what a relief yeah
1: it is you know if we would just take the scriptures as they are written and meant to be understood a lot of our confusion about what happens really it just it just drains away and as we uncover the process and the steps of the resurrection and the fact that in the resurrection there are different groups and we're going to show you scripturally it then all comes to the other. You say, oh, this is sensible. What started out as being completely complicated becomes a very straightforward teaching and understanding. So let's pick up again. We're First 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We read verses 20 and 21. Let's go to verse 22, and then I'm just going to interrupt you right in the middle.
2: For as in Adam
1: all die, so also in Christ will all be made alive. We need to understand the import of that verse everybody is liable to death under adam nobody escapes so in christ everybody is privileged to the opportunity for life that's what it says because he is the first because jesus is the first it showed that he paid the price for adam he would not have been raised if the price wasn't paid oh that is that is powerful it is. I love that. You know, and so when, prophetically, when Jesus, you know, Isaiah says, you know, uh, he's talking prophetically about, you know, God in heaven. He says, you know, whom shall I send? And Isaiah answers, says, here am I, send me. We know that that prophetically is relating to Jesus. He knew that there was a risk because he re- was required to be perfect. And he took that risk because the balance of humanity needed justice to be satisfied. So it is, it's a it's big news, and that's why that scripture you read about Jesus being first in everything. Yes, that's, that's why. Because of the perfection of his obedience to his heavenly Father. It is really remarkable. Let's go to verse twenty three. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, after that, those who are Christ
2: at his coming. Rick, um, when, when he says Christ the
1: first fruits, is yeah. that just repeated from earlier, or is there something more to that phrase? See, now that, that's a good question, you know, because in, in verse 20 it says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those that are asleep. And then it says, everyone in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, and after that, those that are coming. This is showing a different first fruits. It's not saying Christ again is the first fruits, but he's saying that there's something else. You can say, well, wait, aren't you adding something because it just said Christ was the first fruits? That's correct. How do we know that there's more to it than this? Okay, this is not Jesus repeating himself. He is the first fruit, and therefore the catalyst for the resurrection. And it's now showing the order of how the resurrection actually works. How do we know that there's another group that is called firstfruits? Because the scriptures tell us. Let's go to Romans chapter 6, verses 4 to 5, and then verse 8. Therefore
2: we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him.
1: So there is a dramatic similarity being brought out in this Roman scripture. We've been buried with him with him through baptism, okay? Uh, he was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. It's showing a similarity, a following closely after. Um, uh, so if we become, verse 5 again, if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So it's giving you a sense that, yeah, there's a a great similarity here that follows him. Go ahead.
2: And and doesn't Christ mean anointed? Yes. And if we are followers of Jesus, we're promised the gift of the Holy Spirit, an anointing so that we can be in
1: harmony with God's will. Yes. So this closeness is because of the begett of the Spirit that you just talked about. So Jesus' followers hold this honored position this anointed position, if you will, to be next in line after Jesus. James says it very clearly in James 1, verses 17 and 18. Every good thing given and every perfect gift
2: is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation of shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So that we may become a kind of first fruits among his
1: creatures. And there you have it. So, was, G, what, what was uh, the Apostle Paul repeating himself in 1 Corinthians 15? He says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits. And then in verse 23, but each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, meaning Jesus' followers. Yes. Because James says so, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. And that's why it says, after that, those who are Christ at his coming.
2: Okay? It makes so, so much sense. So, there's, so you're giving us
1: an order, yeah. a, a le- level in resurrection. Right, right. That's a, awesome. And, and you know, and, and here's the thing. All we're doing is uncovering the order that the scriptures tell us exists. All we need to do is look at the scriptures within their context and pay close attention to who is being spoken to and what's being talked about. So what we have so far is, quote, the resurrection is, is, is highlighting Jesus. Jesus is the individual, the catalyst that starts the process. And he is the exception to the rule because he's raised long before the end times now you have the order and what we are establishing scripturally is the first fruits are those who come next those who are christ's followers romans continues by showing jesus again is first and those who are faithful to him are joined with him romans eight twenty-eight and 29
2: and we know that god causes all things to work together for good to those who love god to those who are called according to his purpose for those whom he foreknew, he has predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren.
1: See the family connection? He would be, <laughs> See, this is important, because folks, if you, want to, if you want to get what the resurrection is talking about, you need to look at the scriptures to describe the relationship of those being resurrected. And here, it's very clear. There's this family connection. Conform to the image of his son, though, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. It's showing you that there's this incredible connection. Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 2.
2: And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable
1: and perfect. So this shows strong personal accountability oh yes be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind what this really comes down to is it's saying those who are resurrected as the first fruits after jesus have accountability to be able to be in that position they have proved
2: themselves loyal and faithful through their walk, following
1: in Jesus' footsteps. Exactly, and without that proof, there is, you are not part of that first fruit class. This is huge. We need to understand this very clearly. Those who are following Jesus here and now are accountable here and now. And they either work their way toward life by by responding to that accountability or work their way toward death by not. And only those that that count here are those who are begotten by God's spirit. Okay, so how does this first resurrection happen? Remember now, Jesus is the catalyst. So he's the only one that was resurrected in the resurrection before the end times. Now let's get to how it actually works. And it's very dramatic here. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 to 53.
2: Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable.
1: You know, Jonathan, this is such an important verse, and there there are many parts to it, but this part of the verse really speaks to the fact that humanity is not immortal. Because it's saying that that which perishes, us, cannot inherit that which cannot perish. So it's a very basic statement before the apostle goes into describing this really strange thing that's called the first resurrection. Let's look at uh, um, the, uh, 1 Corinthians 50, now to verse 51 and 52.
2: Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised
1: imperishable, and we will be changed. So when you look at that, Jonathan, that's a, that's a, a pretty dramatic thing.
0: You've it got, is. You've
1: got this sounding of this last trumpet. Now, it's not a physical trumpet. Okay, let's, let's understand. It is a, the signs of the times and the, and the end times. And what it's saying is, we will not all sleep. When it says we, who's, who's, who's the apostle talking about?
2: followers of christ
1: okay so the apostle paul lived almost two thousand years ago so it's safe to say that when he died he slept yes okay he's saying we will not all sleep but we will all be changed and then he puts the time of the quote change down the road way down the road from when he wrote this in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet the trump will sound the dead will be raised and who are the dead here the, these are the followers of Christ. Right. They will be raised imperishable and be changed. So, this is showing us that the resurrection of those who follow Christ is held off throughout all of the gospel age until the end times. And at that time, down at the end, at the return of Jesus, you have the ability for those to all be raised. And the other interesting thing about this and we're just going to touch on this just very briefly here because this is a kind of a fascinating thing it says we won't all sleep so the implication is that there's going to be those who sleep throughout the gospel age and the last trumpet will be sounded and they'll be raised but that also implies that everybody who follows christ is not going to have to wait in death but we will all be changed
2: so, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. I mean, that's an, a click of a finger right. from death to raise to Jesus. Wow.
1: So what it's saying, this is subject for another podcast, but it's saying that the sounding of the last trump isn't the end of everything because there are still those who are alive in Christ, and when they die, that's the instant. Just kind of an interesting side point. Won't get into that now another time. Let's go to verse 53 of uh, 1 Corinthians 15.
2: For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. Again,
1: it shows us that we are mortal. A reward given. Yes, there's a reward given of immortality, but it's not inherent in any part of humanity. That's the key. So those in Christ, that's the way their resurrection works. So now we've discovered... Jesus' resurrection as the catalyst. And we will look at it and we say, okay, here's the resurrection of his followers. So what's our resurrection principle to wrap up this portion?
2: Those who are first to go through the door of resurrection are the true church. They have already been proven faithful and are given an immortal heavenly position. And Rick, a, a scripture came to mind, 1 Peter four seventeen.
1: judgment must begin with the house of God. It has to. It has to. We have to understand that this is a time of judgment. It really, truly is. But for those who are called according to his purpose. We're going to get into that as we go a little bit further in the next segment. But here, a key point here is that our present work of following Jesus is the qualifier to be a part of this elite group.
2: Where did the Old Testament faithful fit in? Were they righteous or are they considered unjust?
0: We have a simple yet powerful request for you. Can you think of someone who'd enjoy listening to this podcast? Send them a text message right now. Tell them to check out our Christian Questions podcast. That's one of the great ways to spread the word. Thank you for sharing our weekly conversation with every single person you know. Well, who you want to tell is still up to you. Thanks for texting and listening. Let's go back to Rick and Jonathan as we take a closer look at our topic.
1: You know, Jonathan, there's not a lot mentioned about the resurrection status of the Old Testament heroes, but what is spoken of is significant. In Hebrews 11, we find that these individuals were faithful in their own rights, their time of accountability is past, and that God has positions of special privilege waiting for them. So this is an important sort of sidelight that nobody ever really talks about. What about those people from the Old Testament? Rick, you said earlier, will the most evil people
2: of all time be hanging out with the most holy people of all time? You
1: know, and... (laughs) What a question. Yeah, you know, and it's an an interesting question. And, you know, the idea of who's hanging out with who, there's not going to be a lot of hanging out in the resurrection. There's going to be a lot of work to do, and you're going to have evil people learning righteousness as we will develop. And some of the most holy people of all time, though, Jonathan, are those ancients from the Old Testament. And those are the ones we want to talk about right now and look at what their role is, okay? So first, another text that shows the two major categories of the resurrection. So we're actually adding a subcategory of the first one we just talked about. But this is another scripture that just says there's two really basic types of, of, of resurrection. This is Acts 24, 14, and 15.
2: But this I admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both
1: the righteous and the wicked. I love the way the Apostle says that. There will certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So when you say that, you, you get a sense that you've got the resurrection really divided up into two categories. You've got the righteous and you've got the wicked. We know Jesus is the righteous, right? Yes, absolutely. We know the church, the true church, not, not any church, but the true church, the followers of Jesus who are faithful unto death. We know that they are righteous. That's correct. Okay, so we've, we've, we've got those two as qualified as righteous. What about the Old Testament heroes? See, now the ancients, those guys, were not called to heaven, but they were not part of the unjust either. This is huge. You need to understand where they fit. And you know what? The scriptures are very, very plain. Where are we going here? Hebrews 11,
2: 35, 36, and 39 through 40. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they may obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings
1: and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. Okay, so let's pause there because it talks about Hebrews 11 is the chapter of the faithful Old Testament uh, servants of God. And it's listing many individuals. It also makes sure to say that there's lots that we didn't talk about here. Um, But it's listing them, and it says that they were under duress but they didn't accept release from their duress because, so they might obtain a better resurrection they were faithful to god in their position yes in their walk and that is shown to us plainly in the next verse verse 39 and and then 40 go ahead and all these having
2: gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised because god had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect.
1: So it says in 39, all these having gained approval through their faith. Jonathan, that sounds to me like they are in good shape. Absolutely. It sounds to me like they've had their accountability and they've proven themselves to be faithful to God. There's a reward waiting for them. And that is enormous. So they are therefore part of the resurrection of the righteous because the bible tells us now now folks look i know a lot of you out there might be hearing this and you're a christian saying i never heard this in church because they didn't follow jesus no but they followed god and his principles and while they're not the same as those who follow jesus like you said god rewards righteous behavior they will not have to be accountable at that point in time because they've already been accountable but then in verse 40 Jonathan the key is they without us would not be who's they and who's us
2: they the ancient worthies the prophets of old they us are the followers of Jesus so that because of the faithfulness
1: of the followers of Jesus they will be made perfect that is an equation that if we understand it, it all starts to fall into place. So the followers of Jesus are, at, are, we were talking about who's in charge, they end up in an elevated position because they're with Christ. But right with them, right below them, because they get a better resurrection, are those ancient heroes of faith that we look back at and that we admire. When you think of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Daniel and all of those individuals How about Elijah? Oh. Yeah, yeah you, you, you think of their faithfulness and what they did. God sees it, God knows it, and God has a place for them as a result of it. What's our resurrection principle here?
2: God always recognizes and rewards those who are faithful to him.
1: Folks, you know, this is so important. Let, 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 let's stop with the resurrection for just a second. This is a principle that's always true no matter where you are, no matter what level of life you are in, if you are faithful to him. Now, that doesn't mean you're faithful to some imagery in your mind of what God is, but it means if you're faithful to the principles of righteousness as described in the scriptures, God will reward you for that. It's just, it's just that simple. So we need to really have that, kind of, that sense right in front of us.
2: And so there are different levels of faithfulness shown to us in
1: this understanding of resurrection. And with those different levels of faithfulness come different levels of resurrection. We've got Jesus, we've got the true church, and we've got the ancients of the Old Testament. So we've considered Jesus as as, as, as the first one in the resurrection, just like we said, followed by his true followers in the end times. And remember, in a moment, in twinkling of an eye for them, Next, we see the, quote, better resurrection of the Old Testament faithful. All of these have already experienced their time of accountability before God. So what's the next question? What about everybody else? What about everybody else? What are we supposed to do with everybody else? We've established accountability has already been in place and a reward comes from accountability. God's plan shows us the process for everybody else first ransom then first ransom them so they can be resurrected okay now let's take a look at that this is huge this is a shift now we've looked at accountability and reward this is now a shift in how god's plan unfolds 1st timothy chapter 2 verses 3 to 6
2: this is good and acceptable in the sight of god our savior who
1: desires all men to be saved And to come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay, so 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 let's let's pause there for a second, Jonathan, because it says he desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Isn't that kind of backwards from what we just talked about?
2: It it is, but if you're not a follower of Christ or if you're not a a prophet of old when God is telling you what to do to prove your faith, the world doesn't know. So they need to know sometime.
1: So <laughs> like that, that's right. You no, know, and come to a, a, a knowledge of the truth. You know, the idea of a knowledge of the truth, it's a full discernment of the truth. So you're right. Because the world cannot possibly be uh, justly accountable in this world, in this time, because they simply don't know. They don't have God's spirit working with them. If you notice... Everybody who's been accountable has either been begotten of the Holy Spirit or has had God's Spirit working in their lives in the Old Testament.
2: That's a good point.
1: The rest of these folks have nothing to do with it. So God is not going to hold them accountable when they don't know how to be accountable. That's why this verse says he's going to save them first, give them a discernment of the knowledge of the truth second. Why? Verse 5 and 6.
2: For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself
1: as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. Folks, listen, this is so important. It says Jesus gave himself a ransom for all. These are not empty words. These are not some poetic utterance that makes it sound like, oh, Jesus loved everybody and gave himself a ransom, but most people don't like him and, and then they're going to go burn in hell. That's not, you're not even, even close to what the scriptures are teaching us. As we go through this conversation about resurrection, many things are very clear. God is just and God is merciful and he will apply his justice through mercy. It happened that way with the Old Testament heroes with those who follow after Jesus in the New Testament and will happen that way with the world. And Rick, a key here is Jesus is
2: going to be a mediator between God and humankind. We know that the church, he is our advocate speaking on our behalf, a total different arrangement of judgment going on here.
1: Yeah, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because the mediator, that means you have somebody going between two parties that are at odds to bring them together. Now, God doesn't have to be brought anywhere. But the human race has to be brought to him. That's what Jesus does. That is just because they die in Adam. So we're seeing then that the resurrection of the rest of the world has a different set of guidelines. And they're giving grace and mercy first, and then something else to work with. So now, let's take another step further after this. Next, after you you ransom them, This is what this verse was talking about. Next, you raise them up so they can have an opportunity for life. Now, Jonathan, these next verses, I I think this, Jesus is teaching us things. And again, if we are careful to notice the subtlety, it's profound. There are nuances of the resurrection in these verses. He's talking to the, the people of his time that were in the process of rejecting him. And Jesus is being very firm. With them. And he's saying in Matthew twelve, verses forty-one and forty-two. Let's do one verse at a time. Matthew twelve, forty-one.
2: The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at judgment, and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold,
1: something greater than Jonah is here. Okay. So two aspects of this. First of all, he's talking about the men of Nineveh standing up and being able to condemn the generation that was with Jesus, saying, what did you guys, what were you guys thinking? Because they repented and G- the gen- generation surrounding Jesus didn't. But it's And Rick, a- that standing up is that physical standing up. Right. So remember we talked about that when Jesus was raising individuals from the dead? You know, and that, that, that physical standing up part. So it says the Nineveh will stand up. So in other words, they will be brought back up in a physical sense. And then Jesus shows us the next step. And this is subtle but it's there. Verse 42, the very next verse. The queen of the south
2: will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So what's the subtle difference, Jonathan, between verse 41 and 42? Well, this is that mental awakening, this
1: rise up not the physical. So Jesus is saying to to us, to those of his time, saying, look, the men of Nineveh will be able to stand for righteousness. And he says that and the queen of the south will be mentally aroused again. He's showing us the process. You've got to get that physical standing first, and then you get the, the, the mental acuity. And he's saying, Both of these things will happen, and this is what it's all about. So the resurrection, the resurrection, he's showing us a little microcosm here, saying that there is accountability coming, but it comes on the heels of first being raised. And if you're not raised from the dead, you cannot be accountable. So resurrection, even though many of us don't talk about it, is critical for the gospel message to actually be completed. So you've got that physical aspect and the reviving, the rousing into consciousness. Jesus is showing us both of those things are important. And now all of, all of this is done to bring accountability and eventually to bring life. And let's go to Matthew 12, same chapter, just uh, before a few verses, 36 and verse 37.
2: But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they will give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words... You will also be condemned. Rick, I was thinking about 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. An important factor to consider. God's timing is different than ours. A day to the Lord is a thousand years. The day of judgment, a day to the Lord. So that is time
1: here. Well, yeah, and, and you know, and that's important because so many of us look at that and say oh, the day of judgment is 24 hours and you're going to be either guilty or not guilty, guilty or not guilty. That that has nothing to do with the day of judgment. Again, subject for another podcast. We've done several on it in the past. But the point here also, not only is there ample time for all of this, but there is ample opportunity for all of this because there will be accountability. And for those people who say, and we've heard this a million times, Jonathan, well, maybe not a million, but you know what I mean. <laughs> you know, we've heard this so often. Well, you say that everybody's going to be resurrected. That means I can do whatever I want. Yeah, no. No. What that means is we want to be seeking righteousness. Remember earlier we said God rewards any, uh, any who seek him in, in righteousness, in scriptural righteousness. Every human being will have to go through that process. And sure, you can do whatever you want, but all you're doing is making your future much more miserable than it has to be.
2: So where are you going to start? Righteous or very close to righteous or really degraded and full of sin where you have a long way to go to recover?
1: No matter who you are, you will be accountable. And that accountability brings the grace of God. Everyone. And you notice, Jonathan, in every picture so far, there's accountability for everybody. Yes. Jesus included. He had to be accountable. So that is the underlying fact of whatever resurrection any person happens to be a part of.
2: And his accountability. He learned obedience through the things which he suffered. Right. Absolutely.
1: So, so what's our resurrection principle for, for this segment? The world,
2: though not faithful to God, will receive a significant, just, and merciful opportunity
1: to find God. Okay, you know, that's really what it comes down to, is we want to uh, really understand that the, the, um, even, though, even though the world is not faithful to God now, they will have the right opportunity to be faithful to Him in the future. So, you know, it's really simple. God's plan really begins to show its breadth here. Old Testament heroes included. Everyone else included. What does the world's time of resurrection look like?
2: What opportunities will they have to respond? If we asked Rick,
0: Jonathan, and the CQ Contribution team to answer our topical questions in five minutes or less, rather than in several chapters over 90 minutes, they'd probably get a little stressed out. Plus, they love painting that bigger picture by looking at several real-world media perspectives, historical facts, and scripture. That's why some answers may come quickly, but we love taking a look at the bigger questions that aren't so easy.
1: As we've begun to see, the world's opportunities are in a sense backwards from those of the true followers of Jesus and the ancient heroes of faith. The world will receive their lives back but now they will have to prove themselves to be worthy of everlasting life by living sincerely and righteously. And incidentally, living righteously doesn't mean however I think righteousness is. It's a predetermined factor put in place by God himself. So don't kid yourself. Righteousness is gonna be well-defined and clear and it's actually going to be very joyful. So Rick, you come back from the dead what do you do now <laughs> hang around you know do a little fishing you know no 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 you know you, when you come back from the dead what happens is the process of reconciliation the coming back is the beginning of the re-standing remember the word for the resurrection is a, is, is to stand standing up again that's the resurrection it's a process and it begins with physically standing up and then it goes through the mental acuity process of developing and moving toward God and away from self. That's really what it boils down to. And, you know, the beautiful thing, Jonathan, is the scriptures show us this. So let's finish the verse that we began talking about in segment three. That was 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-three. Remember, each in his own order part. Let's go, go through that verse again.
2: But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ at his coming. And Rick, I wanna you know, get personal. How about forgiveness? Forgiveness to be made right before God goes both ways. You need to say you're sorry and mean it to those that you hurt in your lifetime. Then you've gotta forgive those that hurt you and really mean it. it there's
1: true accountability. And if you don't forgive Rick, what does the Bible say? Well, you know, God can't forgive you. That's really what it comes down to. so and and those are the ones who are Christ's at his coming. okay? So we had Christ, the true the, the first fruits, the, the resurrection of the righteous, and then the rest the everybody else. So Peter is telling us in in our next scripture that the resurrection of the unjust is for the purpose of re-educating them. And Jonathan, you're right, that reeducation that we're going to read about right now is based on being forgiven so that we can be forgiving. That's Amen. what it comes down to. Second 2 Peter
2: 2.9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished.
1: You know, we, we've talked about the day of judgment as being a day of trial, and we've talked about this scripture many times in the past. This, this being punished doesn't really mean be punished, does it?
2: No, it means to lop or prune as trees and wings, to
1: curb, restrain. So the idea behind it is to be reeled in so they can be reset, so they can move forward. Yes. That's really what we're talking about here. So let's look at a scripture that gives us the microcosm of the whole the resurrection time. Okay, we're going to try to fill in the gaps. Uh, so a future times prophecy that's going to look at showing destruction, rebuilding, personal accountability, promise, and then peace. Okay, First in this verse, and this is going to be Jeremiah 31, 28 to 31, then 33 and 34. First is the time of trouble and destruction. So just start, let's start with Jeremiah 31, 28 through, oh, verse 28. As I have watched over
2: them to pluck up, to break down, to overthrow, to destroy, and to bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. Now, Rick, isn't this describing those ancient faithful
1: ones uh, that we talked about earlier? Yeah, see, they come into play between this destruction and this rebuilding part. So that's where their part in the resurrection is. Now remember, the sounding of the trump for those followers of Christ happened before this. Okay, So they're already resurrected, and they're already uh, in place to be part of the reconciliation. This is where we find the ancients coming into play. So, we've got this time of trouble and destruction. And make no mistake, that is coming. And we're right in its, its crosshairs, if you will. It's part of what has to happen for goodness to take the world back. So, next is God's promise. Verses 31 to 33. I'm going to just cut a few pieces out in the interest of time. Uh, and I'll do 29 and 30. Oh, I'm first. sorry. I'm sorry. I meant, uh, you, so now it's personal accountability. Sorry about that. I'm jumping ahead. 29 and 30. Go ahead. In those days, they will not say again, the
2: fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, but everyone will die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth will be set
1: on edge. So this is giving us a sense that first comes accountability. You've been forgiven. How do you know you've been forgiven? Because you're alive. That's how you know you've been forgiven. You're alive. Jesus' ransom worked. Now, you are accountable because you've been forgiven for your own sins you can't say well it was that my grandmother's fault and i inherited this this whatever it is at that time there's no more of that it is you are accountable for what you do so you've got the trouble and destruction first then comes personal accountability then the verse goes forward and it shows us god's promise now verses 31 and 33 behold days are coming declares the lord when i will make a new covenant with
2: the house of israel and with the house of judah i will put my law within them and on
1: their heart i will write it i will be their god and they shall be my people you know that is such a comforting set of verses god writing his law on their heart you know and you say well look that that sounds like it's for israel and it is it is for israel however not part of our conversation today, but Israel is the physical uh, earthly government, if you will, that all of God's grace comes through. It goes to Israel first, then flows to the rest of the world. So what comes to them in terms of God's grace will go to the rest of the world. So everybody else who is resurrected in the resurrection at the end times is going to have the opportunity to be experiencing God putting his law within them and on their hearts. He's going to write it there and having God be their God and being one of his people. And finally, as a result of all of this, comes peace. So now we're in Jeremiah 31, verse 34.
2: They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord? For they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more.
1: You know, you look at that verse and you say, wow, that's beautiful. But it comes after the verse of accountability. So no human being can get to the beauty of that promise unless they go through the phase of accountability first and prove themselves to be faithful to God and to righteousness. So no matter who you are, you must be accountable to God so that the resurrection, the restanding process can have its full effect on you. So for the world, the resurrection is also, in Isaiah 35, likened to a journey that is taken under God's protection. Isaiah 35, verses 8, and, uh, 8 through 10.
2: A highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for
1: him who walks that way, and fools will not wander on it. Okay, so you've got this illustration of a highway will be there and it's called this highway of holiness and it's just this beautiful 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 picture and Jonathan this is in stark contrast to the way the road that 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 uh, true Christians are s- supposed to walk
2: oh yes absolutely uh, that's a that's a narrow way right that's a difficult way to prove themselves because evil influence satan is trying to attack and trip you up every step of the way
1: but then Satan won't be around. And that's why verse 9 says, No lion will be there, nor will any ravenous beast go up on it.
2: These will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there. So
1: you get the sense that God has cleared the way for every human being to have a legitimate opportunity to finish the resurrection process, to be able to really stand up.
2: And we know that Peter describes Satan as a roaring lying. Yeah. So that really connects
1: here to this verse 9. And so now when we go on to verse 10, you're giving a a sense of the, the completion of that picture. And the ransomed of the Lord
2: will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away.
1: Okay, so the ransom of the Lord returned. And you've got this joy and shouting to Zion and everlasting joy in their heads. Again, Jonathan, that comes after accountability. Everybody has it. And this shows you sort of the completed picture of what the re-standing looks like. So resurrection is not just being, hey, wake up. It's time for you to not be dead anymore. That's just the first inkling, the first piece of the pie, the first, the, 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 the first step in the process you've got to be reawakened and aroused in your mind and shown righteousness and be accountable and go through the development and all of the things that have to happen, then you get there.
2: And Rick, I love this Isaiah 35 because it shows us progress on the road back to God.
1: Right, and that's the point. All of the world will have that opportunity for progress. All of them. So here's what happens when the resurrection, when the resurrection, the resurrection Work is complete and all are thoroughly tested. We go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, we've been bouncing in and out of that chapter throughout this whole podcast, and it's showing us the process. 1 Corinthians 15:24 through 28.
2: Then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, the last
1: enemy that will be abolished is death. So you can see, again, the accountability shining through, and it's saying Jesus reigns in this resurrection time until he completely cleans up the world, completely cleans up every heart and every mind who wants to be cleaned up. But not all will. No, unfortunately not all will, and, and again, that's a subject for uh, another time, but The resurrection gives all the opportunity. Whether you take it is your personal accountability. Will you have every reason to accept it? Yes. Will you be given every legitimate opportunity? Yes. Are there things that will get in your way? No. Just you. And that's what this is really all pointing to. So what happens? It says the last enemy that will be abolished is death. At that point in this resurrection time and process verses twenty seven and twenty eight.
2: For he has put all things in subjection under his feet, but when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is expect accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things were subjected to him, then the Son Himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. There's a lot
1: of subjected in those verses. <laughs> yes. You know, and the bottom line is, God gives Jesus the power and authority to do the cleanup process of the restanding, of the resurrection. And once it's absolutely, positively completed, and death is now abolished, Jesus, in this picture, literally says, Dear Father, here." is your perfected human race. Here is the culmination of the plan that you had right from the start. We all did, played our part, and now you have your human family. I mean, Jonathan, that's the resurrection. That's what we look forward to. And that's the scriptural promise. What's our final resurrection principle as we close?
2: The culmination of the resurrection process is when the world completes its season of accountability and finally enters into the joy,
1: peace, and life that God's plan intended, paradise restored. So, Jonathan, you know, the bottom line here is that the resurrection gives us opportunities and grace and goodness that most Christians don't even imagine can exist. And yet here it is, laid out in scripture that not only does all of this exist but it exists in a very powerful strong and deliberate fashion resurrection works in stages jesus was the first there was nobody in heaven before jesus period that's what we understand the true church follows him they are faithful they are accountable they're given god's spirit Following them is the better resurrection of those ancients who had God's spirit helping them along the way in the Old Testament and they're rewarded for all those things that they do. They come into play as part of the resurrection of the righteous. And then, then is the resurrection of the everybody else so that they can have the opportunity and they're given life first and accountability second. The common denominator everybody's accountable. What we need to focus on and understand is that we see God's plan unfolded and resurrection is a centerpiece of it all. For Jonathan, Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you enjoyed being with us today and uh, we uh, look forward to, to, to your thinking about what the resurrection truly means. Folks, also coming up next week, we'll be talking about the Old Testament law. Does it apply to me or is it all done? We'll talk to you then.